Welcome and thank you for listening to this message from Legacy Church New Braunfels. To connect with us, go to LegacyNB.com. Now enjoy this message from Cindy Hatcher. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. It's great when we gather in his name and we come together as family. And I'm also so thankful that we have a pastor who's not afraid to let women preach. <laughs> I can't tell you how thankful I am for that. Just uh, just know that I've been in, and had experiences before where um, as I've been preaching, I do have notes. I have four pages here. And I've been talking with the Lord about a couple of different messages in my own walk with him. And inevitably, a lot of the stuff out of my life ends up being the story and the message that I share. But I'm also going to tell you that I'm not the kind of teacher or preacher that just goes line by line where you're going to be able to take easy notes necessarily. So I'll do my best to kind of point you in the direction where Holy Spirit's going to take us. But guess what? He gets to be in charge all the time. All the time. And I'm not saying that because I'm not prepared. I've got about four or five messages in here that I could go into any area that he has burned in my heart in the last several months. And I'm like, Lord, which one? Which one? And I'm just going to tell you, when I get lost in Scripture and in the presence of the Lord, it's hard to come out. It's hard to come out. And, and that's where my heart is on fire right now with him and about his presence because I really believe that what we just walked out of was probably the best part of all of the service. I'm just being very real because his corporate body comes together and we make him first. And we have the opportunity to shout as loud as we want to and sing as loud as we want to the praise of his name. And we live in a country where we have freedom to be able to do so and to be able to gather. And we should never take it lightly. We should never take it lightly. We know that there is war, right? The principalities and powers, that's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual stuff that's going on on a regular basis. I know that there's stuff happening in your lives and in your hearts, but part of the message is this. He is God. And he is good. And he is for you. He's not against you. So whom shall you fear? Nobody. And when you have him and you have his word and you have his presence, you can get lost in all kinds of different places with him. He'll take you on a journey. Because he loves you so much. And it's so he's so creative. He's so smart. He's so glorious. that I'm telling you, the more I keep standing here and talking about it, I'm just going to get wrecked. Because that's how much my heart is completely undone by him. And I'm a fool for Jesus. We used to have a slogan, a youth t-shirt. I'm a fool for Jesus. Who's full are you? <laughs> right? So, so I'm just saying, I, I may look like a fool at times, and I'm okay with that. I used to not be. I used to not be okay with that. I used to need to be very dignified and very well put together, very religious, going to do all the right things, do it all the right way, and it's got to be in right order, and he really messed all that up in a really good way. <laughs> so again, I have some things I want to share with you, and I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to show me where he wants me to highlight, where he wants me to stop, because I think that's how we're actually supposed to be living 24-7 anyway. Jesus said, I, I do the things I see my father do. I say what I hear my father say, and I do it in like manner, and I only do that, right? So that's how we're to live our life, in oneness with him. What he made available for us should completely wreck us every time we think about it. When our heart is whole and it's engaged, 
we allow our emotion and our passion to pour forth. It doesn't mean we're irrational. It doesn't mean we're, you know, improper or crazy or whatever. It might look a little crazy, I'm just saying. But our hearts are engaged when our emotion is engaged, when our passion is evident. Now, I know not all of us are wired the same. I know we all have different personalities and way that we express and the way, that's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about this burning place inside where there's a fire in you shut up in your bones and it can't help but come out. Where there's a joy and a life and a love and a freedom and a passion that you can't help but talk about Jesus. You can't help leaving people where they are. So, of course, this is Freedom Weekend. I had no idea I would get this this weekend, but because I'll be going out of town a couple of times um, this month, this was the, the weekend I got. So I think, thank you, Bob, for trading spots with me. <laughs> um, but then I was asking the Lord, okay, it's Freedom Weekend. You know, we're, we're here to celebrate freedom, and we celebrate the 4th um, because it's the Independence Day. And so there are some messages. I was asking the Lord about that. And he said, you know, you have to mention this Roe v. Wade decision. So I'm going to mention it. I don't know how long I'm going to mention it, but I'm going to mention it. Because I shook when I realized it was 50 years. And I heard the Lord say the year of Jubilee. Whoa. And it was the date, 6-24-2022. Now, this is just how the Lord talks to me, y'all. I know it's a little weird. I'll try to explain it. But I'm like, why this day, God? Because this was on your calendar way before it was on ours. You already knew this day was going to come. And he marked it. Now, this is just how God talks to me. And I know it's weird. It's going to have to be okay with you. But listen, he showed me 6. 24 is 2 plus 4 is 6. 2022 is 222. That's 6. And he showed me 666. Now, 666 is considered the mark of the beast, the number of the enemy in Revelation. I believe it's the mark of the beast because six is a number for man, and it's listed three times to mock the Trinity. So the Lord did it just to say he could on that day. And then I heard... Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. And I looked it up. It's in Leviticus 25.10. Oh, Jesus. And I think it's really interesting because I didn't know this until later, but the Liberty Bell actually has that etched in the side of it. It says, proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. Now, I don't know if that specific day they would ring the bell to gather in the people, to call the people, you know, for different things, and that that bell was rung. Maybe not necessarily on July 4th, per se. It might have been the 8th or something. I don't know. But without the technicality, I just want you to understand that God does things very specifically and in his timing. And sometimes if you'll follow him in these little adventures, he'll talk to you in riddles and in puzzles like this and confirm things when they don't always make sense all the time because he gets really excited to show it to you bit by bit. And it can be really frustrating for some of us who just want it all. Like, just give it all to you. Like, like can you just make this really clear? <laughs> and he's like, oh, let's go on a journey. You, 
If I gave it to you all, you'd run, like, you know. So we got to give it to you bit by bit sometimes. We know in part, we prophesy in part, right? But it's the goodness of God to do that for us because that's how he grows us. We don't give babies steak, right? So he said, a curse was broken. This is a divine reset, and we will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And this was birthed because of a lifestyle of prayer and fasting, silent protesting, weeping, and repentance. Prayers were prayed. There had been movements praying and waiting to see for this. Houses of prayer, furnaces of prayer and worship that have been crying out to God in repentance for this, for our nation. I'll mention Chris and I had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. a few years ago, and someone put together, there was the call, of course, with Lou Engle, but there was also, um, I know Mia and Janie went as well, and um, the whole point was there were 50 tents all around the National Mall, each tent represented for every state, and there was larger tents for Israel and other things, but the point of it was to pray and to fast and to worship in this teeny tiny little tent, like the tent of meeting. It was during the tent of meeting time as well. And that's all we were, it's his presence that, that matters. So he said it was the year of Jubilee. And then I went to look it up. And there are lots of people who calculate differently, but they say, you know, if we counted it from the actual time when it was birthed in Scripture, 2022 would be the year of Jubilee. And in Jubilee... There was a declaration of freedom. So then as I was asking the Lord about, um, about Jubilee and about the scriptures, he pointed these to me. I'm going to read them quickly. Psalm 81.3, go ahead, blow the Jubilee trumpet to begin the feast. <laughs> blow it before every joyous celebration and festival. Uh, Psalm 83.15, oh Lord, how blessed are the people who know the triumphant shout. For they walk in the radiance of your presence. Isn't that good? Galatians 4.27 says, For it is written, Burst forth with gladness. Rejoice, O barren woman with no children. New is coming, church. Luke 4.18-19. Jesus himself declared, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to be hope for the poor, healing for the brokenhearted and new eyes for the blind and to preach to prisoners. You are set free. I have come to share the message of Jubilee for the time of God's great acceptance has begun. That's in the passion translation. It has begun. And then he closed the scroll and said, it is finished. He said, this, has been, this is now accomplished in your presence. On the day that he read it, he said, it's done. It's finished. The, the time of, great, of God's great acceptance has begun. And I'm going to read to you very briefly what it says in Leviticus 25, 8 through 10. Count off seven Sabbath years, because that's where the Sabbath came from, right? The seventh day of rest, the Sabbath rest. But he tells them to count out seven sevens. Okay, seven times seven years, so that the seven Sabbath years amount to a period of 49 years, and then have the trumpet sounded everywhere on the 10th day of the seventh month on the Day of Atonement, which was the the high holy day, the one day that the priest would go into the, the Holy of Holies, and sound the trumpet throughout your land. 
consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. Each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. Basically, what the above scripture is talking about is the Jewish jubilee year was the 49th. It was the seven sevens, right? But then that year and the next one, which would be the first of the next seven, that 50th year was considered the jubilee. And technically, according to some things that I looked up, year 2022 is the 117th jubilee year since its inception. So what they would do is basically it was a time when the Israelites were to cancel all debts. They were to free their slaves and return sold property, right? It's original owners. But you got to think about why would God do this? It doesn't make any sense, right? Like what about the people who sold the property and traded it and now there's new owners? Like this kind of doesn't make any sense when we think about it from our point of view. But <clears throat> here's why God did it. The year of Jubilee was a great reset when God canceled debts, set, he set slaves free and returned all property back to the original family who owned it. He did this for a few reasons. One, to prevent a monopoly in the land so that one person couldn't, you know, buy up everything and become king, basically, right? Uh, they couldn't just uh, uh, inherit it all under one person or under one family. Remember that... Um, God never intended also for his people to become servants. So even if they had gotten into debt, if they sold themselves into servanthood, you know, if they mismanaged and didn't steward well, like all the things, right, all the stuff that would happen, this was a time of a reset. It was a time of cleansing and a time of restoring back to the original design. God didn't want to bring them into the promised land to become slaves again. He wanted all men to live as free men. And it's the reason why he canceled all debt, all servanthood, and he gave the next generation a chance to build something on the property. The most important reason for the year of Jubilee is that the land didn't even belong to the Israelites to do whatever they wanted. They were not the owners. They were stewards. Here's what God says in Leviticus 25, verse 23. The land shall be not sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. You're just strangers and sojourners with me. Your tenants, that's what God says, your tenants on the land. So it's his, it was his land, and he reset it. And if you go back and you look, um, I think it's in Numbers, where he actually issues out the different land to all the different clans in the, in the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? And so that is established. <clears throat> now, um, I won't get into, like, the, the, all the history and all the stuff. I, I started to go down that road, but I'm not going to spend time there. But it's a great interesting study if you want to go and take a look at that because here's the here's the finished product though the moment you became a believer in the lord you received not only a reset you received eternal life all the goods all the promises the debt that we owed god because of our sin it wasn't ever to be repaid but because of christ he set us free from the bondage of sin he gave us liberty he gave us freedom and he released us from sin even if we didn't deserve it for the day, every day, that the believer in Christ actually is a year of jubilee. Every day that we live in Christ is actually a year of jubilee. That is what he did, and we tend to forget. We tend to forget that. So I'm here to remind you. But he also, I think, marks it in a, in, in a 
in an epic time and season like right now, like June 24th of 2022, so that he shouts it again and makes you really aware of what he's doing and that he's in charge. But Jesus proclaimed it when he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he, and he announced he anointed me to be hope for the poor, healing for the brokenhearted, new eyes for the blind, and to preach to prisoners. You are set free now. Not one day when, but now. Not one day when I get to heaven only, but now. That's why he said and he preached, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now another thing that the Lord does um, with me is he, on a regular basis, will... Um, We'll use our worship time and different times and seasons, like I said, little nuggets that he'll drop at me. So here's a few little nuggets. We'll see if he puts it all together for us. But um, here's one that he said a while back. He asked me this question, and I didn't understand it at first, but he said this. He said, are you wood or are you gold? It's just kind of weird, right? Well... Are you wood or are you gold? I'm like, what do you, what do you mean, Lord? So, of course, I go searching through the scripture to figure out what he's talking about because that's usually what he does. He points me back to the word. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.20 that we're to be a pure vessel, that there are some things in the palace that are made for common things, and there are some things that are made for holy things. And were to be set apart and made holy. And then he showed me wood, when fire hits it, what happens? Gets burnt up and destroyed. But when gold hits fire, it's refined. It's purified. So that the ugly comes to the surface, and you can clean it off, and what's left is pure. And when gold is actually molded, it then gets dipped into the water to cool it and refresh it to make it solid. So when we talk about, especially in worship and things, we talk about fire and winds and the water, like all the ways that God can be represented in all these things. He's, he's saying something and he's doing something. It's a prophetic thing. So, of course, I keep asking, <laughs> what are you saying, God? And uh, he has shown me the numbers 444 for years, a very long time. Every now and then I'll look at the clock, boom, 444, you know. I go past, I don't know if it was one of the chicken places or something, and it was $4 and $4 and $4 in the window. I'm like, okay, God. So what are you saying? Well, when he kept showing me these numbers over and over again, what do I do? I, I know that there's something on it. I'm like, Jesus is on that. He's highlighting it. That's my language. He's highlighting something. And so just like a great little treasure hunt, like, you know, when, you're, when your kids are little, if you ever did the Easter egg hunt, you know, you put the Easter eggs just on the grass anywhere where they can find it, and they just go gobble them up. But as you get older, you got to make it a little harder. you got to try to hide it in actual places. Well, the word says that it's the glory of God to hide a thing. It's the glory of kings to seek it out. And he made us kings and priests. So we get to go on a treasure hunt with him. Okay? He's not hiding it from us. He's hiding it for us. But he'll, he'll dangle just a little and be like, are you coming? Let's come check this out. It's a joyful adventure. It's fun. If you'll highlight and pay attention to the things that he's highlighting to you. So he kept showing me 444. And so I think, um, well, 
I'll go here. Philippians 4.4 4 says to rejoice always, right? And again, I say rejoice. And then uh, Psalm 44.4 is a favorite verse of mine. I believe that that's an invitation of the Lord to declare victory. So every time I see 4.4, 4, I start there. You are my God and my King, O Lord. You command victories over Jacob. Now replace your name with Jacob. You, re- you declare and command victories over me. You declare victory over my children, my husband, you declare victory over your bride. You declare victory over the circumstance that I'm in right in this moment, right now. I start looking and thinking about what's going on right now. He's showing me these numbers. What am I to be entering into a time of cosmic intercession and partnering with God to declare victory over something? What do you want me to yell victory about right now, God? Because this is where we start shouting that year of Jubilee. Remember, it's an everyday thing because of what he did. And so we get to partner with him in declaring the victory. Who needs victory right now? Where do, where do we need some freedom right now, God? Well, how do I partner with you in declaring victory over that? You are, my, you are my Lord and my God. Command victories over whatever it is. And you enter into that partnership of it's finished. It's done. I don't care what it looks like with my natural eye. I'm coming up seated in heavenly places in Christ trying to see it from his point of view and going, you're calling me into a partnership to release whatever you're saying and what you're doing right now. Remember what I said earlier, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I hear the Father say. That was Jesus and his oneness with him. So when he wants to throw a little nugget it's to get my attention because it was off him for whatever reason, right? I mean, we got to live life. we got to do things. we got to whatever. But we don't think about a constant habitation of his presence where we're always talking to him, all day long, not just during our quiet time, not just during Sunday morning, not just whenever you decide to sit down. You know, those are all good. Don't get me wrong, but it's a constant conversation because he's one with you. So when he highlights something, he gets my attention. Not always I'll confess it. Sometimes I got my own agenda. I'm like, I'm kind of busy, Lord. I got to get things done. He's like, <clears throat> right? I'm like, I'm like, <clears throat> okay. So when he does it, I go on this little journey with him. Ezekiel 44.4 is another scripture where it talks about the glory of the Lord filled the temple. So during one of the times of worship, just like even this morning, I I may go there this morning too, but the Lord said, uh, the glory of the Lord is here and available because it's all about his manifest presence. When you think about the glory, what is the glory? We think of glory as praise, okay? We think of glory as his manifest power and presence. It's his, even just now, every time I'm in worship, he he uses the lyrics in the set. Guys, I hope you really know this. Everyone on our team prays through their sets. And we ask the Lord, "What, what are you saying right now? Where are you going after? Like, what are you wanting to release? Because we're not just singing songs. We're partnering with him to release the thing that we're praying into. Now, I know sometimes Sunday mornings we're still kind of waking up, but I'm going to tell you, I think that's the best part of the service is when we corporately enter in and even just individually. When you enter in, it's about his presence. Because right now I'm praying that his presence is hitting you in the message and with the passion of my heart, that he's touching you right now. But sometimes we go into our, we go into our left brain and we're just taking notes and we're in kind of function mode and we're kind of in our task mode. And, and sometimes when we get into that mode, right, into tasks and work or whatever, we're, we're not engaged with our whole heart. We're just engaged with our mind. But, but 
who we are as body, soul, and spirit, we are one with God. And so we're to be engaged, to be wholehearted means my mind is his, my heart is his, my ways are his, right? We're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. So I'm going to share with you a little bit of this. I, I wasn't sure if he wanted me to do this, but he said do it. So okay. I made a fool of myself one morning. I told you I'm a fool for Jesus. So all through the set, I wasn't planning on dancing that morning. I wasn't leading. Uh, I think Lacey was leading and the team was leading. And I was over here, and I'm just doing my thing. I'm, I'm in worship or whatever. And I'm telling you, the Spirit of God came on me and compelled me forward to come and do some dancing over here and to do prophetic acts, basically. I was just in this place with him. I call it the zone. You're just in the zone. You're just one with him. And I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? And I was undone by the presence of the Lord. And I was, as I was dancing, I was moving things. I was doing this. I was doing this. I do this with my hands sometimes. I feel the winds, okay? Sometimes I see streamers at my fingers when I do this. Like, there's just weird stuff I see a lot sometimes in worship. But I'm just going to read to you the notes that I typed in my phone after because I, I was like, I need to write this down. Because it was one of those, when you have an encounter with the Lord, I pray that you write it down so that you'll go back and chew on it and remember it and treasure it. Okay? Just like we do the Logos Word of God, treasure the Rhema Word of God, not just the prophetic words you get, but that was a prophetic encounter and he was doing something in this house. So, and he does it all the time when we gather together, you guys. But this is just one because it goes into some more of what he wants me to share. But I wrote this. <clears throat> the glory of the Lord is here and available. It's about his manifest presence. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and praise. This is what you do. That was one of the songs. This is what you do. Plowing and breaking up soil, we're redigging the wells of revival. And water was rushing in from below like an aquifer. It was rising in our worship. Waves were crashing, raising levels of water as deep was calling unto deep. I'm going to pause here for a minute because I've shared this before. Some of you may have heard this, but one of the very first Sundays I was ever here, um, I, I was led to go stand in the back corner. And uh, as worship was happening, um, the same thing I felt. They were singing songs like Ocean and, you know, You Make Me Brave. And so there's water songs, right? All the water songs. And I was standing in the back and I felt this huge angel standing behind me. And, it's, and his wings would go like this and he would come back down. And he'd go like this and he'd come back down. And it was kind of depending upon the congregation joining in. Because <laughs> as, we, as we were getting louder and joining in on the chorus that everyone was familiar with, right? The parts of the song that we all know that we can just shout. We're not having to read the words because we just know it with our eyes closed, right? Like when that happens and your whole heart is engaged in worship, the angel of our church goes like this. And he stands like this. And he's worshiping the Lord with us, right? And I just kept feeling that. And then I felt the wave back. The waves would splash over here. And I was just standing there and I was doing this as I was dancing. And my hands were doing this. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what is this? I feel like a conductor, right? But I was feeling it. I was feeling the wind. I was feeling the water. And the water was rising. And I could feel it because my legs were starting to get heavy. It's like when you're wading in the ocean, right? Like it's a little bit harder, especially when it's moving. It wasn't just a pool I was wading in. It was, there was movement happening in the spirit. And as I kept doing this, 
I know it sounds really silly, but it's like Fantasia. It was like, you know, like when he's up there directing and the water's splashing and the mops are doing whatever, you know what I'm talking about? And so, but that's what I was feeling. And there was just such a buzz of his presence, the power, the glory was present because we were declaring who he was. But more than that, in those songs, the lyrics were saying something. Take me out into the water as deep calls unto deep, right? There's, I should have wrote the lyrics down, but the other song was uh, You Make Me Brave, right? If you just go and look at those songs, Oceans and You Make Me Brave, the water in those songs, it's, it, it's all talking about take all of me. Take me into the deepest places in you. You know, um, let me walk upon the water, <laughs> right? Like whatever it, whatever it takes, God, this is what I'm going to do. It's, it, it, they were songs of perseverance, Songs of no matter what it looks like, no matter the cost, this is where I'm going with you. This is what I'm doing. Draw me in. You make me brave, God. I can get through anything because of you. You make me brave. He said, deep calls unto deep. This is how I fight my battles. (laughs) Then we started singing that song as we were declaring that. And I kept hearing This is how I fight. I fight best from a place of rest in him. It doesn't mean you're not doing anything. It means your heart is a posture of peace and at rest because you trust him completely. This is how I fight my battles through worship. This is how I fight my battles through joy. This is how I fight with dancing. And also seated before the presence of my enemies, being fed of the Lord so I can taste and see that the Lord is good and then prepare the way of the Lord was the next song. Prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming and he is here. It's both. He's coming and he is here. Prepare. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare your hearts. He's coming. He's coming through. Ready or not, our God is on the move. And he wants to use you. He wants to partner with you in the midst of your stuff. You are his son, his daughter, and he wants you in the family business. And he said communion, that was the next song. Communion is key. It's about sacrifice, his sacrifice first. It's about intimacy, about our oneness with him. Now I'm going to go here in uh, John 14 through 17. If you guys have time, I really encourage you guys to hang out in those chapters for a little while. John is one of my favorite gospels because there's a whole lot of red. <laughs> Like John, the intimate one, took notes, treasured and stored in his heart the things that Jesus said and kept them for us to know. Don't worry or surrender to your fear. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. For you've believed in God, now trust and believe also in me. This is Jesus talking. My Father's house has many dwelling places, and if it were otherwise, I'd tell you plainly. Because I go to prepare a place for you, and when everything is ready, I'll come back and take you to myself so that you will be with me where I am, and you already know the way to the place where I'm going. But then Thomas, of course, chimes in, Master, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way there? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes next to the Father except through union with me. To know me is to know my Father also. And from now on, you will realize that you have seen him and show us the Father that we may all, 
that, and that will be all that we need. And then Jesus said, Philip, I have been with you all this time, and you still don't know who I am? How could you ask me to show you the Father? For anyone who has looked at me has seen the Father. Don't you believe that the Father is living in me and that I'm living in the Father? Even my words are not of my own, but they come from the Father, for he lives in me and performs his miracles of power through me. Believe that I live as one with my Father and that my Father lives as one with me, or at least believe because of the mighty miracles I've done. Like, what's it going to take? I tell you this timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do, even greater miracles than these, because I go to be with my Father. For I will do whatever you ask me to do when you ask me in my name. And that is how the Son will show what the Father is really like and bring glory to him. Ask me anything in my name, and I'll do it for you. I believe he's saying, in my name is in me, one with me, you being one with me. You are seated in heavenly places in me, one with me. And he goes on and on throughout these chapters. I'm not going to read all of it to you. But um, this is the whole part um, where he talks about, let's see, I'm going to skip forward. I'm the vine. You're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing, right? With me, you bear much fruit. The fruit is what it's about, you guys. The fruit's what it's about. Um, but you must remain, he says in 15.4, so you must remain in life union with me, for I remain in life union with you, for as a branch severed from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mind. Intimacy, communion with him. Verse 7, but if you live in life union with me and if my words live powerfully within you, if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. When your lives bear abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. That's how we give God glory, you guys, not just with our praise and our worship, but with our fruit. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will live in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands, for I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. You know, there's another scripture that says the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus made us righteous. He already took care of everything. So as long as our hearts, as long as we're here one with him, he makes us righteous. He's the one that sets us apart. He makes us holy, right? Set apart for good use, for glorious use. That should bring you peace, which also then brings you joy. Verse 14, you show that you are my intimate friends, not just friends, acquaintances, kind of friends who know me. You show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I command you. I love the Passion Translation because it gives you a few little words to think about it slightly differently than way you may have memorized this before. Verse 15, I have never called you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servants and servants don't always understand what the master is doing, but I call you my most intimate and cherished friends 
For I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my Father. You didn't choose me, but I've chosen and commissioned you to go into the world to bear fruit. And your fruit will last because whatever you ask of my Father for my sake, he will give it to you. So this is my parting command. Love one another deeply. Then he goes on to talk about persecution. I'm not going to read every verse in here, but I really do encourage you guys to go and read. Just take some time this afternoon and read John 14 through 17 slowly. And just keep asking God, what do you want to show me in here? But he talks about you can expect persecution. In verse 26, I will send you the divine encourager from the very presence of my Father. He will come to you, the spirit of truth emanating from the Father, and he will speak to you about me. And you will tell everyone the truth about me, for you have walked with me from the start. Then in chapter 16, he gives some warning. Verse 12, he says, there's so much more I'd like to say to you, but it's more than you can grasp at this moment. Remember what I said? He gives us nuggets, pieces. The older we get, the more we know there's still so much more. (laughs) There's still so much more. But when the truth-giving spirit comes, he will unveil the reality of every truth within you, within you, within you. He won't speak on his own, but only what he hears from the Father And he will reveal it prophetically to you what is to come. He will glorify me on the earth, for he will receive from me what is mine and reveal it to you. Verse 23, for here is the eternal truth. When that time comes and you won't need to ask me for anything, but instead you'll go directly to the Father and ask him for anything you desire, and he'll give it to you because of your relationship with me. Verse 33, and everything I've taught you is so that the peace which is in me will be in you and will give you great confidence as you rest in me. For in this unbelieving world, you will experience trouble and sorrows, but you must be courageous, for I have conquered the world. There are different types of baptisms. I'm not going to go into all of them. We know the baptism into salvation, the baptism of repentance, the baptism of salvation, however you might think about that. We die in the water baptism and are raised up to the newness of life. That's the symbolism from the water baptism. But as the Lord was talking to me about this and about that refining fire of holy, uh, there's that scripture that says that, um, um, did I write it down? I did not. But there's a scripture that talks about, um, you know, when Jesus was baptized and then uh, John the Baptist was talking about, but the one who's going to come, he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I would ask the Lord about that because I kind of just assumed, well, a fire means like passion, right? It's the passion. But what I've experienced in my life, it is also the testing. It's the testing. It's the fire, that refining fire that we sing about today. In Mark 10, 37 through 38, this is when Jesus was talking to his disciples right before that, and uh, the sons of thunder decided to be bold and ask, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. 
Can you drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? I think it's a great question. Because then they're like, yeah. <laughs> you know, they were like, yeah, we're in. Like, they were, they were just going to be in. They didn't have the full revelation and understanding. And Jesus said, well, you will be. You are, you know, like you're going to. But they didn't fully grasp what he was talking about. I think with fire, it's both. Again, what are you, wood or gold? He made you gold. So we're going to go through fire. We're going to go through testing. We're going to go through persecution. We're going to go through those trials. We're going to go through difficulty. And all of it is to what? Pushed. <laughs> right? You guys have heard me share this. We've, we've talked about this all the time. You squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. You squeeze a lemon, you get lemon juice. If I squeeze an apple and got orange juice, that'd be weird. We squeeze a Christian, we should get Jesus juice. Right? So when you get squeezed, this is when you worship. And you're like, this is how I fight my battles. And you look at the Father. You look at Jesus with his eyes of fire, as they're described. And you hear his love and his words, right? You, you let that permeate. A lot of people want to go into battle and they look at the enemy and want to go like shadow boxing. I'm like, why do we want to give the enemy any attention whatsoever? Let's come up higher. Let's come up higher where we can sit on the throne, right, with the Lord. He's the God who sits on the throne and laughs. Let's just laugh at that. That's what we're teaching the kids. Let's just laugh at that. Let's understand the truth of who he is, that he's good. So then every trying time, every difficulty that comes, it's not going to feel like laughing all the time. But that's the sacrifice of praise. We will never have an opportunity in heaven, the one day in glory, right? In heaven, when we die and go to heaven, we're never going to have the opportunity to worship him in the midst of trial. There's no pain there. There's no sorrow there. There is a fragrance in our worship as we persevere in the testing and declare he is good when everything looks awful. When everything hurts, we laugh. When we contend for what we know is in heaven, that's where we start. That is plan A. That is the will of God there. That's why he said to pray, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guess what? Our spirits know what home is like, I promise you. That's why we get frustrated down here. And that's even why unbelievers will cry out to, oh God, when something bad happens. Because their spirits know who really is the one they should be crying out to. On earth, as it is in heaven. So you've got to stay focused on what's going on in heaven. Who is God? What is our filter for who the Father is like? What Jesus is like? Who in the world is Holy Spirit? In my journey, in my faith walk, I've shared this before with a few of you. You may know this story, but, but just real briefly... I just got to know Jesus when I was nine. And, and I won't go into all the details, but I fell in love with him. And he became my best friend. He was my big brother. He was my Jesus, my savior. And he was that for a really long time. Until he started to woo me a little differently. Okay? And I was in college when I read the scripture. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. He and I are one and the same. And I began to recognize that I didn't see them the same. 
I saw Jesus one way, and I saw the Father differently. And it was like this. It was, whew, if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be in trouble. Because the Father is angry and expects perfection and holiness. And that part of my human nature that wants to please and wants to be perfect and do it all right and be good enough, our human nature, guys, is our fallen nature. That is not our spirit nature. It's our fallen nature. We're going to have the tendency to want to get into our human nature. Don't ever use I'm just human as an excuse ever again. You're not just human. You are spirit. You're one with him. But we will have the tendency for those places in our heart that don't have full revelation yet. We're still on that journey. We're all on a journey. Amen. We're all on a journey. And yet it's still true that I'm one in a whole in him today even if I'm still walking through the journey of the manifestation of becoming way more like Jesus until I look and act and behave and smell like him every day, right? But that's the journey. That's part of the struggle. <clears throat> but we have to come into this place where we, we remember 13. Again, in the Passion, it says, we all experience times of testing, which is normal for every human being. But God will be faithful to you. He will screen and filter the severity, nature, and timing of every test or trial that you face so that you can bear it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial, God has provided you a way of escape that will bring you out of it victoriously. Romans 5, it's one of my, this is my, one of my life verses. Paul says, suffering develops perseverance. Perseverance develops character, the character of Christ. And character develops hope, because hope doesn't disappoint. What is hope? It's not, I hope so. Biblical hope is, I know so. It is a confident expectation of good things coming. I know this is coming for me. I, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. It's, I know, because of the goodness. I know this is what's coming. There's no, there's no lack of faith there. Biblical hope is a confident expectation of good things because he's good. All the time. There is no evil in him. He's not a manipulator. He's not trying to get you to, you know, jump through all the hoops. Okay? And he's not a punisher. He's not an angry God. He's a loving father. He's a loving father. So what I did is I went through this whole journey. I was required to take New Testament and Old Testament survey in college because I went to a private college. Had to have chapel twice a week. But I was thankful that I had to go through these courses because it forced me, at the beginning of the, of the year, you had a syllabus, and it would tell you, you're going to be reading every verse of the Bible in the Old Testament for Old Testament survey semester, and then the New Testament, the New Testament survey. And they would have you sign a document the first day of class so that you know and you have read, the expectation is that you will have read the entire thing line by line, verse by verse, and the textbook that they give you, the, you know, the commentary or whatever, because at the very end of the semester, they warn you in advance, you're going to have to sign a paper that says, yes, I have read every word. And don't, that got me excited because now I know that I know that I know by the end of the year I'm going to be reading every single word in the Bible. I don't know about you, but I used to struggle doing that. I used to be like, where do I read, Lord? Where do I start? I'll do this Bible study and this Bible study, and I'll do the, you know, read the Bible in a year plan, and then somewhere around the second month I stop. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just telling you. I, I'm, re I'm just saying, Okay. So I was excited that I was going to get it. And, and so it was there in the Old Testament survey. Well, after New Testament survey, I did that one first and then did the Old Testament survey. And I just remember the Lord pricking my heart, and he says, you don't see me the same way. And I was like, I don't. And I was like, especially in the Old Testament, Father. <laughs> like, you're going to have to help me figure this out. 
And he said, well, then go on a journey with me. And he said, look for me. Look for my goodness in the Old Testament. There's a different covenant, but look for me. Have understanding. Look for me. Look for my goodness. Look for my heart as a father. And one of the places that I went to first and foremost was in Job, because, man, Job went through it. He went through it. And I was like, wow. And every sermon I've ever heard about Job you know, they would get to that little part after Job's done talking and wrestling with his friends and all this stuff, and then God shows up, and he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Surely you know, right? And every way I've ever heard it preached came with this tone. Who do you think you are? I'm God and you are not. My ways are higher than your ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts, right? Like you're nothing. That's what I heard. That's, that's where I came from before I really knew the heart of the Father. Okay? As Jesus showed me, because I prayed this prayer, Jesus, show me how you know the Father, because I've read through the New Testament, and he looks so different than what I've learned in the church I was going to. In the spirit of religion, you can't help but catch to some degree if you're ever in a church longer than a week. Like, it's just where people are sometimes, right? I'm just, let's be real. But I had to go, show me the Father, Jesus, the way that you know the Father, because you know him way different than I do. And he started showing me in those places. And I'm not going to lie, there's still some places I struggle and I can wrestle in some of the stories in the Old Testament. I'm like, I don't have all revelation for why. But this is what I've contended with. I will always declare that he is good. Because over and over and over again, he was fighting and crying out for a people to become his own and to stay consistent with him. And Israel constantly forgot God. But he was drawing and wooing them into himself all the time. But he also knew that Jesus was going to take care of stuff and create a new covenant for us, right? And in Job, this is what I heard instead. When I got a glimpse of the Father's heart, he took me back into studying Job again so I can see it with a new lens, so I can see it from the eyes of a good father, right? And this is the tone of voice I heard from him. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Surely you know. I was thinking of you. I put the stars in the sky for you. Your ways aren't my ways. You're not going to understand like a three-year-old doesn't understand why mama says no. But I'm for you. And every way I put in discipline, every, everything that I do when I say no about something, it's for your good. I don't punish you. I discipline you. There's a difference. I don't punish you. I'm not angry. I'm full of joy when I look at you. When a baby learns to crawl and they get up and they start to toddle a little bit and they walk a couple steps, what do we do? We get excited. Oh, my gosh, they made a couple steps. We don't sit there and go, well, you had it. Why did you stop? Like, you know, like we don't, we get excited. That's the heart of our father. He gets excited about every time we look at him, every time we engage with him, every time we believe who he is. And how you will experience him is the key, not just here in your mind. I'm not saying we don't need to experience him with our mind. Of course we do. Guess what? Your mind controls your brain, the organ that controls everything else in your body. Your mind is what you believe, not just what you think. It's what I know. It comes out of your spirit, but your mind directs everything else. That's why I had mentioned a double-minded man is unstable in all their ways. Well, how can we have two minds? That's weird. It's because our heart gets divided. A part of me thinks this, and a part of me thinks this. 
So we have to come into the Lord and make sure every part of our heart is in alignment with his heartbeat, his love, and his word, his truth. It's knowing him and experiencing him. James 1 says, consider it pure joy when you undergo trials of many kinds, for it's a testing and a persevering of your faith. What? <laughs> I remember reading that one. I was like, how am I supposed to consider this pure joy in my hardest seasons? In the hardest times of life, I'm supposed to consider it pure joy. So I would do that. I would be like, okay, how are, how are we supposed to do this, God? And then he showed me Daniel 3, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't have time to read you the entire story, but if you don't know that story, I encourage you to go back and look at it. In Daniel 3, basically this time of Babylon, right? The Israelites were taken captive, and they took the choicest. Meshach, and Abednego were three guys, three friends of Daniel, and uh, they were told they had created this giant golden, you know, idol or whatever. Said you got to bow down when the music plays. You got to like go into this whole time of worship. And they refused because they're like, that's not our God. I'm not going to do it. So they cause the king to be angry. They get bound up with rope, and because of their insistence, the king tries again. You know, here's your last chance. And they're like, nope. Listen, we're not going to do it. God's going to rescue us, plan A. He's going to rescue us from this. But if he doesn't, so be it, plan C. We'll die, and we'll be with him in, any, in, in a minute. But we will not bow down. That's how firm they knew their God and his goodness for them. Either he's going to rescue us or he's taking us home. Either way is good. I hope you feel that way about your life. Because it's all his. All of me is his. Whatever it takes, whatever the testing, whatever the trying, I'm going to stand firm in faith that he is good and he is for me. And I anchor myself in his goodness. He is for me. He is good. He is for me. He is with me all the time. But if I go into the fire, which they made, what, seven times hotter? By the time the soldiers got in there, even the soldiers died that were taking them into the fire to drop them down into it. And then the king sees them walking around in the fire. I love this part of the story. I'm sorry. It just makes me want to laugh. Because <laughs> I picture it. I picture this king was like, they're going to bow. Right? And then, and I don't have time to read it to you. But go and read it. It's really funny because he starts declaring who God is. The one and true God. He starts declaring who God actually is by seeing, revealing having that revealed in the fire while he's watching the guys walk around, then he says, there's a fourth man in the fire, and he looks like one of the sons of God. Hello. I just love that. we got to read the Old Testament sometimes, you guys. we just got to, like, there's goodness in there. There's the fourth man in the fire. And we sing about it. There are songs about that, too. It's like in the fire, he was there walking around. And they come out. You guys know the story, most of you, right? He comes out. And the scripture says that they were not burned up at all, nothing charred. They didn't even smell like smoke. I love that line. They didn't even smell like it. Can you go through the testing and the trials and the persecution and not even smell like the smoke? Yes, you can. You can, even if you haven't before. I'm here to encourage you. You can. It's a testing and a persevering of your Faith. What do you believe? Because what you believe is what you're really going to live. 
Here's the other thing that happened when they came out of the smoke. King got saved, basically, right? I mean, like, everybody was like, everybody's going to bow down to this God because he was the one who actually rescues and saves. But guess what happened? They were no longer bound. Everything that didn't belong got burnt up. They came out refined. So there's testing in the fire. The other picture that the Lord showed me was when I was asking about wood and gold, wood and gold, and I was looking in the furniture in the tabernacle and all those different things, and, you know, like I told you, Paul had mentioned to Timothy, and I'm like, what else? Is there more about the wood and the gold? And then, boom, I see this picture of Jesus on the cross. He said the cross was very important to the story, but it was wood. The gold is Jesus. He's the gold. He's the treasure. And we tend to just think about him on the cross. But he died, and he rose again. And it's the resurrected life that we're to be living. It's the it is finished. That's the life we're living right now. Not one day, maybe one day. Not one day in heaven, one day. It's right now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within reach. It's within you, Jesus said. So we go through trials and testing and pain and difficulty and listen, we have an enemy who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's like a lion who roams to and fro seeking to whom he will devour. He's not here to mess around, right? We're told in Ephesians that we're to have the belt of truth wrapped around our waist, right? The breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, shoes for the readiness of the gospel of peace, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, our offensive weapon. Nothing covering our backside. We're not supposed to run from the fight. Scripture there even says that if and after you've done everything, you're still able to stand. Shoes for the readiness of the gospel of peace. This is how we fight my battles. We trust him. We know him. We consider it pure joy when we undergo those difficulties. And this last thing I'm going to leave with you. Y'all okay? You still good with me? Here it is. It says it at the top of Galatians 5. I'm going to read to you sections. I'm not going to read all of it to you. But I really do encourage you guys. I want you to just, you don't have to tell me, and please remember there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, right? But the Holy Spirit does convict and correct. When's the last time you opened your Bible and spent more than 10 minutes and read it line by line? and asked him, what do you want to say to me, God? I just encourage you guys. You have to chew the word. You have to feed the word like you got to eat. I don't know how many meals a day you eat, but we should be eating spiritual food. His presence is spiritual food. Worship, it's spiritual food. The rhema is spiritual food, yes, but we've got to know the truth so that we can discern all the stuff that's out there. And we also have to discern the stuff that's in here that the enemy has said and other people have said. That's a whole other sermon I'd love to get into, but it's about our heart becoming fully his. But we have to be rested in truth. Galatians 5, I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. At the very top it says, a life of freedom. At last we have freedom, for Christ has set us free. We must always treasure cherish this truth and firmly refuse to go back to the bondage of our past. 
I, Paul, tell you that if you think there's benefit in the circumcision and regulations, then you're acting as though Christ is not enough. What's he talking about here? He's battling the whole teaching that's going on where the Jewish people are thinking they've got to do rituals and rules again. He set us free from that. I say it again emphatically. I'm skipping down. Verse 5. But if we have the true hope that comes from being made right with God and by the Spirit, we wait eagerly for this hope. For when you're joined with the anointed one, who's joined with the anointed one? Circumcision and religious obligations can benefit nothing. All that matters now is living in the faith that works. Verse 10. Deep in my heart, I have confidence that the Lord who lives in you will bring you back around to the truth. And I'm convinced that those who trouble you, whoever they think they are, will bear the penalty. Verse 13, beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom, but don't view this wonderful freedom as an excuse to set up a base of operations in the natural realm. Constantly love each other and be, submitted, be committed to serve one another. For all of the law can be summarized in this one grand statement. Demonstrate love to your neighbor, even as you care for and love yourself. Let me emphasize this. As you yield to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life. When your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit, you hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings <laughs> hinder your self-life from dominating you. So then the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the Spirit. When you yield to the life of the Spirit, you'll no longer be living under the law, but soaring above it. And here's the fruit. But the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love in all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows. Peace that subdues. Patience that endures. Kindness in action. A life full of virtue. Faith that prevails. Gentleness of heart and strength of spirit. Never let the law above these never set the law above these qualities for they are meant to be limitless keep in mind that we who belong to Jesus Christ have already experienced crucifixion for everything connected with our self life was put to death on the cross and crucified with messiah if the spirit is the source of our life then we must also allow the Spirit to direct every aspect of our lives. So may we never be arrogant or look down on one another, for each of us is an original. We must forsake all jealousy that diminishes the value of others. I lied. Here's another one. The Lord just told me to go there, so I'm going to. You guys are probably familiar with this. I'm going to read it in a different translation because the Passion doesn't have that one, or I don't have it in my... Electric Bible. But I'm going to go to Isaiah. Where are they? There we go. Isaiah 60, verse 1. This is your call to action. 
Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Do you know who you are? All of heaven and hell are asking, who do you think you are? Are you wood or are you gold? When Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. I want us to say that. I want you to be able to say that because that is your commissioning. That is what the Lord has given you. He's called us all into that ministry of reconciliation. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. He's in you. He's for you, but he's in you to work through you. Light belongs in dark places, and what happens? Darkness disappears. There's no fight or struggle. There's no click the switch and then eh, we kind of see the light slowly take over the darkness. It's not even a fight, guys. When we really know who we are in him and we really know who he is in us, there's nothing. Nothing can overtake you. Now, I know that there is hardship. I know that there is grief and I know that there is loss. And I'm going to tell you this. I know I'm a little over time. Forgive me. I wasn't going to go here, but I just felt it. The most difficult week of my life was me sitting at the side of my brother's bed. The last week of March of this year. As my brother fought and contended against stage four cancer that had spread throughout his body and was ravaging him. And I stood there next to his bed and I worshiped and I prayed. And I praised and I said, I know you're good, God, and I know cancer is evil and I know it doesn't exist in heaven. As my precious mother stood next to her son and she said this, God, I know you could do it. You could just take it all right now. Plan A. I know you can. And this was her other cry. Cindy, we just need more of his power. We just need more of him. We just need more of him. It's not about us striving in it. Please hear me. It's not about us working in it. It's about us coming into the revelation of what already is. Now, he's still God, and he is healer, and I don't understand all things, and my brother was healed when he went to be with the Lord on April 1st. I know where he is. I know he knows where he is. His family knows where he is but a robbery took place that day. And I tell you, every time the enemy tries to kill, steal, and destroy, it just makes me matter. And it says, okay, you took that one. Now you watch me. And you watch how many people I'm going to tell you about, I'm going to tell Jesus about. You watch me. I'm going to make the enemy pay for taking that one. We can do all that we know to do. It's not up to us, you guys. And yet at the same time, that's the invitation that he's calling us into is to partner with him and to believe for the impossible no matter what I was seeing with my eyes.
as my heart was wrestling with all the emotion, my humanness was going through the humanness, my spirit kept rising up and going, but I know who my God is and I know he is good. It doesn't matter. He's still good. He's still God. And I'm going to see cancer healed. I'm just going to go after it like a crazy woman. I'm just going to go after it. If any of you have ever, ever get diagnosed with cancer, you come find me because we're going after it. I'm going to go after any healing, by the way, but I'm just telling you, like, I'm just going to make the enemy pay. So I'm going to ask you to take inventory of the times that the enemy has robbed, killed, stealed, and destroyed, who's lied to you, and you seek the truth of God, and you stand on who he is because he loves you. And in that moment of great loss, I was able to laugh When I was in worship, I was able to laugh because my God sits on the throne and he laughs at the enemy. He laughs in the midst of our pain and our suffering. Not at us. He laughs at the enemy. Oh, you think you got something on them? You wait. You watch. Because my, my, my children are going to rise up. They're going to shine. But it only happens when we declare this. Is the Spirit of the Lord upon you? Do you think the Lord has anointed you? Are you bringing good news to the humble? Do you believe you're being sent to bind up the brokenhearted? Are you holding space for people's pain and being there with them? Are you, are you speaking life and love to them? Are you proclaiming release to the captives when you see them held captive? Are you praying for their freedom? Freedom to prisoners? Proclaiming the favorable year of the Lord. This is a year of jubilee. Every day is a day of jubilee because of who he is in us, through us. Guys, it's not just for us. It's for him. Everything is for him. Stand with me, please. I just want you to close your eyes. Lord, what are you saying to me right now? Just ask him. What's the truth that you want to speak to my heart? And I want you to repeat after me. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives, and freedom to prisoners to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. 
Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Now just take a minute, just thank him with all sincerity for his goodness. We thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you that you're good. You're a good God. You're a good father. Abba, Daddy. We thank you. We thank you for your presence. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us as we seek first after God's kingdom and release it to transform lives and cities. If you would like more information about how to grow in the kingdom or connect with Legacy, go to our website, www.legacynb.com.